Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you so much for joining us as we kick off a new week, this last week of October and the final days before this ever-present and very important election that we uh, talk so much about and uh, will certainly be key for our country moving forward. We'll be talking about uh, some of those issues in this election as the days draw near, one week from tomorrow the big election day. We know many people have already voted. If you haven't already, we hope that you will either um, a little beforehand, if that's uh, allowed in your area, or certainly on election day one week from tomorrow. Glad you've joined us. Here's what we're going to talk about. Harvest weather as uh, we're in the final stages of Harvest 2020. Some areas still dealing with some uh, tough weather with snow and other issues. In some other places, it continues to roll on. We'll talk with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. We'll talk markets today with Joe Camp with Comstock Investments, and we'll get a harvest update from Iowa. Immediate past president of the National Corn Growers Association, Kevin Ross. We'll check in from his farm. He has a little more time for harvesting now that he's the immediate past president of corn growers. And we'll find out how harvest is going in his part of Iowa. All that coming up on today's program. But happy to start today and the week off with Sarah Wyant, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications. Sarah, thanks for joining us. Uh, yeah, the home stretch of this uh, campaign, I think... Uh, most of us will be glad when it's done. It certainly has those some uh, long-lasting implications. It'll be interesting to see uh, not only the presidential race, but of course the Senate and some ag issues in various states around the country. Well, good morning, Mike. Always a pleasure to be with you. And yes, uh, I think we always say that this is the most consequential presidential election ever every four years. But there's certainly a lot at stake here for U.S. agriculture and for the country more broadly. I think you've seen the record uh, early voting taking place, um, not only because of COVID, but just the high interest in this election. And as you mentioned, it's not just the presidential because uh, control of the Senate is up for grabs. We've got uh, a lot of key House races. And these ballot initiatives that are uh, going to impact everything from Colorado, for example, whether there'll be an introduction of wolves in South Dakota, legalization of marijuana. Uh, you've got some things in California on taxes. So it, it just goes all around the country when you look at the impacts of this election. Yeah, those state ballot initiatives are very, very key, as will the outcome of the uh, Senate races. Well, I'll get back to the election in just a moment, but uh, what are you hearing on a COVID uh, stimulus bill? Anything happening there? Well, our team has been watching this very closely, Mike, and it seems all but certain that nothing is going to happen now until the lame duck. So after the election, uh, everybody's still saying they want to have a deal, but of course, there's really not much political leverage right now with just eight days to go before the election. Uh, Speaker Pelosi has said that she still wants to do this deal, but it looks to everyone that we've talked to, including 
uh, as we noted in Daybreak this morning with Senator John Thune, that um, he's optimistic about doing something in the lame dock because maybe cooler heads will prevail then, uh, the dust is going to clear, and um, that will be a better time to actually do a, a deal that, that is workable for everybody in the country. Yeah, I don't know, depending on how this election turns out or if we even know all the results. Uh, I I don't know about cooler heads in the lame duck. <laughs> that may, there may be some uh, people still very hot about the election. Well, it's not likely that we will know because so many states allow people to mail in their ballot and still be counted several days after the election, even though um, as long as they've mailed it in ahead of time and it's postmarked. So I think that between... Those sorts of state uh, ballot counts, plus, you know, looking at some of the key Senate races where there could be runoffs, um, I, you know, it, it could be quite a while before we know the final outcome. It just really, there's so much uh, that's kind of up in the air as you look at this, Mike, trying to think, you know, some people are talking about, well, there's going to be a blue wave and, and we'll know right away. Uh, but others uh, casting some doubt on that based primarily on the fact that the polls were so wrong in 2016 on the state level and not a lot of trust of how they are viewing that now. It will be interesting. And finally, Sarah, you and I have been in in the uh, ag journalism business a long, long time. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on what's happened to the media in this country. We talk a lot about partisan politics. But we see more and more in this country now partisan press. And with so many people tuning in only to the media outlets that they basically tend to agree with, you, nowadays you tend to only get one side of the story. I've even seen some of that start to creep in a little bit into, into ag journalism, which really uh, concerns me. Uh, what are your thoughts overall on that? You know, the role of the media seems to have completely changed now in this country, and now it's more uh, activist-type uh, reporting that we see. So, Mike, that really concerns me, and you're correct. I mean, we've been doing this since 1980. We work really hard to be talking to people on both sides of the political aisle, but we tend to find some people that are out there that are so biased about that it's either my way or the highway that there's a reluctance to even read things on that that might question some of that and i just like to encourage everybody to try to find trusted news sources uh like you folks and like us and that um you know we're not going to tell you everything you're always going to agree with but um hopefully we can help educate and inform the debate then you can make up your own mind rather than having this bias that I mean, I get up every morning and read a lot of the major dailies, and you can just see it everywhere. And it's it's really concerning about how we're uh, educating our public to be more informed voters because if they're only hearing one side. It's just very unfortunate. Yeah, I'm I'm very concerned about this, and uh, I mean, it's to the point where you know if you go to a certain outlet, you already know what position they're going to take or what side they're going to take, and that that really. Is never before way we have been in the business, uh, Sarah. That's not the role. I mean, like you say, it's to lay out both sides and let people make informed choices. Absolutely. 
And I mean, you're right, and I, I see this on so many social media posts too. There's things that you just can't trust, and I find myself more and more reluctant to to click on certain things that are posted as news articles. If they're not from a source that I trust, I just tend to stay away because you don't know who's been making up that they're a new media outlet when they're not even trained journalists and don't have any ethics. Yeah, it concerns me how many people get their news and form their opinions based on social media or or late-night TV comics, for that matter. I mean, it's just amazing where people uh, uh, get their information, what guides them or influences their choices. All right, Sarah, as always, thank you. Appreciate your perspective, as always, and uh, always good reporting we see at AgriPulse. We thank you very much. Thank you, Mike. Have a good week. Sarah, you too. Sarah Wyant, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications. Up next... Harvest weather as we wrap up October and now get ready to look into November. That's next on AOA. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Adams on Agriculture. Conversations with policymakers, the movers and shakers in the ag industry, the pros and cons of issues important to you, cutting through the spin to get to the heart of a topic and giving you the information you need to know. Every weekday, Mike Adams brings you guests important to the ag industry. It's quite simply information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Rock Slaybaugh, Senior Vice President, National Rural Health Association. How is the rural health care system holding up under this pandemic? We have places around the country where hospitalizations and surges are within uh, normal or but no normal ranges. But then we have other parts of the country that are experiencing some rapid increases in cases with increase in hospitalizations and filling up intensive care units. Those are occurring largely in South Dakota, North Dakota, Wisconsin, kind of growing in the state of Montana. So we've got some large areas of the United States uh, being impacted by this right now. Keep in mind, 61% of rural hospitals do not have an intensive care unit. Many times if the care needed exceeds the capacity, they have to be transferred to some of the larger regional hospitals. And uh, when those are full, the rural hospital has to take care of those patients for longer. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. 
When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, let's talk harvest weather with ETM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Bryce, for the most part, this harvest has uh, rolled very smoothly with few weather interruptions, but here towards the end now, a few challenges. Well, there are going to be, Mike, although um, fortunately it's not going to be a real long-lasting set of, uh, you know, more of a slowdown type of situation. But uh, we've had rain and snow and quite a bit of cold uh, move into the uh, northern and central part of the country over the last week, and uh, especially during the past weekend now, uh, it got very cold. So that's going to be a, a, a feature kind of through this week and it is going to slow things down. Uh, we're getting some rain and snow in parts of the southern and the eastern Midwest today. And then a big area of the southern plains is getting that winter moisture as well. It's going to slow things down. The winter wheat is uh, getting a uh, favorable shot of moisture from that. So there is a little bit more of a two-way or a mixed uh, impact uh, from that moisture. It kind of depends on the crop and and the needs of the moment, but uh, there certainly is quite a bit of uh, that action uh, kind of over the south-central part of the country. So this is going to be kind of a, a bumpy week weather-wise, kind of take us through October and into November now. Well, um, this, uh, this very cold trough uh, has got a, a real Arctic source. Uh, looking at the upper air chart this morning, this trough that is, uh, this, this upper air trough that's bringing in the cold is extending all the way from northern Greenland uh, southwest to southern Arizona. So there's a a long, long uh, alleyway for the colder air to move in. And, uh, yeah, it's been record-breaking, and it's going to be a big feature throughout this week. But uh, it's going to be a kind of a quick uh, turnaround during the next week because uh, we're going to go from this uh, cold trough working across the middle part of the country during the next uh, four to five days to upper air ridging. That's going to kind of sprawl out across the entire interior of the country next week with a lot milder air and a lot drier as well. And so there's going to be a pretty fast uh, switch from the very cold pattern to a lot uh, milder, more seasonal, and I think that that's going to be a real welcome uh, change that we get uh, during that first uh, part of November. Mm, interesting. So for those yeah. that, whose harvest is going to continue into November, there's some um, good weather news there perhaps for them. Yeah, I think I think there is. Now, yeah, there's there's uh, still a, a real slowdown in, and in areas, particularly in central Iowa, that have the uh, terrific uh, windstorm, their ratio damage from uh, back in August. Uh, those fields are are really mangled up. They're twisted up, and it's uh, very slow going. But even in those um, 
real uh, slow pockets, uh, slow areas. I think that uh, the pattern, weather-wise, is going to offer a fighting chance at getting done by mid-November. And uh, that is, I think, a, a real benefit, all things considered. Now, I should mention that this uh, moisture that's going on in the Southern Plains is not all that great for the cotton-producing areas of the Texas Panhandle and the far southwestern plains, because there could be some uh, cotton quality that takes a hit from this. Obviously, a snowfall on a right field of cotton uh, doesn't do much for those uh, for those fibers. You know, it takes them from uh, top quality to subpar quality pretty fast. We're talking with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. All right, All right Bryce, let's talk about South America. The uh, situation in Brazil is uh, certainly turning more favorable. They had rainfall in Mato Grosso and then um, into Paraná during the last um, couple of three days, actually the last week, of anywhere from a half to two inches. Uh, favorable for soil moisture, favorable for getting soybean planting going. The Brazil soybean planting progress is at 23% now as of last week. Uh, that's behind average, but it's a big jump from only 8% the week before. You know, so the planters are ramping up, and this week we're going to see more rain of anywhere from 1 to 3 inches. Uh, so this uh, soil moisture is uh, continuing to get, um, you know, better supplied. That uh, gives more incentive. And then just a reminder that uh, the soils in that part of the world, considering how everything works together, uh, do not uh, hold the moisture for a long period of time. So even a rainfall uh, total of around uh, two inches does not uh, does not stay. <laughs> it doesn't mm -hmm. cause a real muddy problem. It dries out pretty fast. All right. So what about your La Nina forecast? Where are we with La Nina? Right now, that event in the Pacific is uh, sort of flatted, flattened out for the moment at a pretty weak event. Uh, the water temperatures are about an inch and a half or a, I should say one and a half degrees uh, Celsius below average. And the uh, atmospheric pattern measured by the Southern Oscillation Index is uh, at, a, at a weak value at around a plus nine. So it, uh, th this is not intensified over the last week. It still looks like we're going to have uh, La Nina with us through the winter. Uh, the, the prospects are at this point not looking like it's going to be a real long-lasting event deep into the growing season next spring. And uh, could we have a below-normal temperature pattern this winter? We certainly could. But as far as being a real brutal cold and stormy winter, uh, right now there's, uh, there's uh, chances for uh, us to get some breaks in all of this to, uh, to offer maybe a little bit of a reprieve from time to time with uh, that winter pattern. So interesting. So when you're into a La Nina pattern, then they're not all the same. I mean, uh, you can't say for sure that it's going to be like a past La Nina then? Not at all. Uh, not at all. Every, every uh, El Nino or La Nina event is different. Uh, you know, there, there are other things that are going on in the atmosphere besides that one feature in the Pacific, and that's where the uh, character of each uh, particular uh, ENSO event, as, I, as they call it, uh, El Nino Southern Oscillation uh, event, each, uh, each particular one uh, has its own history. There are some broad 
uh, generalizations you can make, but uh, you can't really put a stamp on uh, each particular one uh, identifying exactly what's going to happen the next time. I want to talk to you about Colorado. They've had, they're dealing with wildfires there. It doesn't get near the publicity or media attention as California's fires, but are they getting any relief from the weather there to help them? Fortunately, they are, uh, because uh, the the uh, Colorado Rockies uh, are getting the snow. Um, yesterday, the, the uh, Kansas City Chiefs and Denver Broncos uh, played in the snow in Denver, and it was flying around throughout the game. And uh, that, that same snow was uh, covering uh, much of the Rockies, Rocky Mountain National Park, for example, and uh, it has eased the fire situation. Now, I'm not going to say it's put it out, but, uh, you know, just simply by, by dampening the, the whole terrain in that part of the country, uh, it's offered the uh, firefighting crews a chance to, to make some progress because uh, up until uh, that, uh, that point, uh, the very dry vegetation, drought conditions, strong winds, they had been uh, just um, unmerciful in terms of uh, what happened with the fire development. And when we look at that drought monitor, it certainly covers a lot of area, doesn't it? That's very dry. Yeah, it does. I mean, you can take a you, you can uh, draw a, a curve from about uh, Boston, Massachusetts, uh, kind of uh, curve it uh, toward the Ohio Valley, and then south into around Houston, Texas, and then north and west of there. Boy, there's a lot of dry country, and particularly from the Continental Divide west, with the entire Colorado River Basin in uh, extreme to exceptional drought, according to the drought monitor. So this uh, snowfall has been a real welcome feature for any kind of moisture to help the cause. When it's that dry, as we know, it takes a while to come out of that, too. Yes, it does. And and that's that's a real uh, concern. I mean, even with the event that's going on right now, uh, it's nice to nice to have, nice to receive. But uh, there's, there's uh, subsequent storms that are needed. Uh, subsequent um, uh, kind of uh, slower developing uh, precipitation events to try to get things, uh, you know, completely solved. And, and, you know, that is not part of the uh, overall pattern with a La Nina. Uh, so that's, uh, you know, that's leading to plenty of concern over the entire southwestern half of the U.S. over the next several months. All right, Bryce, always good to talk with you. Thanks a lot. You're welcome, Mike. DTN meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Up next, we talk markets. We'll talk with Joe Camp with Comstock Investments. That's coming up next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. We are strong, we are resilient, and we will get through this together. But these are stressful times, and it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid, but there is hope. Reach out to someone, connect with your friends, stay in touch with your community, and know that you are not alone. Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com slash hope. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. 
About 80% of farmers use propane to dry their grain. If you're part of that 80%, you know a dryer filled with propane distributes heat and dries grain more evenly. With FS Propane, you can increase harvest quality, improve productivity, and lower fuel cost. Propane from FS ensures dependable supply. FS offers services and flexible, convenient payment programs to help keep your mind on your business while they manage your propane tank and supply. For grain drying, choose FS Propane. FS Propane brings the heat. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. A mixed bag for the grain and oil seed sector early on this Monday. Wheat futures trending lower. Corn futures a bit defensive as well. Grain traders expecting this afternoon's crop progress numbers from USDA to show the corn harvest right around 75% complete nationwide. Wheat futures leading the way lower early due to rainfall coming to parch-growing areas around the globe. The southern plains due to receive good moisture. Rains coming for Russia in the extended forecast. Soybean meal, 135,000 metric tons sold for delivery to the Philippines, according to USDA on the Daily Wire. Soybean futures an hour into the day, trending a half to two and a half cents higher. Brazilian farmers had planted 23% of the area expected to be sown with the crop as of October 22nd, up from 8% a week earlier, still behind the five-year average for the date, according to private consultant Ag Rural. November soybeans up two and a quarter at 10.86. January up a penny and three quarters. 1082 and three quarters of a cent. Corn, December, down a penny, 418 and a quarter. Chicago wheat, December, down a dime, 622 and three quarters. Kansas City wheat, December, down 15 cents at 554 and a quarter. Minneapolis spring wheat, December, down seven at 570 and a half. Livestock at American Live Cattle, December contract, steady at 103.55. Feeder cattle, November, up 40 at 130.02. Lean hogs, December down a dollar twenty-seven, sixty-five, sixty-seven. The Dow down three hundred ninety-seven points. You're listening to AOA. I'm Rusty Halverson for the American Ag Network. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Let's talk about how to really cook. First, you can't tell it's done by how it looks. Use a food thermometer. Then, always stir, rotate the dish, and cover food when microwaving to prevent cold spots where bacteria can survive. Fast cooking should still be safe cooking. And bring sauces, soups, and gravies to a rolling boil when reheating. Even for the most experienced cooks, the improper heating and preparation of food means bacteria can survive. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. I want to talk about what's one of the big stories of 2020 in agriculture. We know there are a lot of big stories this year, but how the, the market 
picture has changed so much in a relatively short period of time. We uh, kind of go through this uh, several times each week here on Adams on Agriculture because it is such a big story and it has it certainly has such a impact on on moving into next year. I want to talk about it today with Joe Kemp, Director of Managed Programs for Comstock Investments. Joe, thanks for joining us. Um, did anyone see this coming? I mean, I haven't really found anyone who was predicting this kind of a turnaround in the markets. Good day. Thank you. No, part of the reason why it is such a strong run to the upside for grain futures as of late, we've got a ton of momentum. It is because it's come as a surprise. One, we've got a surprise based off of last year's crop starting to be revised because it's not as big as it was depicted on paper. And two, you've got a forward-looking supply projection now coming down because of new crop estimates coming in. Still a big crop, 2020 row crops for the U.S., but not as big as we had hoped in many parts. And then the third piece, the big piece, is just physical demand across the country. We've got recovering uh, COVID from globally uh, consumption numbers, but also you know tons of recovery elsewhere too, domestically speaking. So it's a recipe for higher prices. Okay, so that's kind of a three-legged stool you just described there. Let's kind of break that down. Uh, the first part, uh, overestimating maybe last year's production, we get into that all the time about you know numbers uh, from USDA and how accurate they are and things like that. So there's always mm-hmm. certain questions around that. Overestimating this crop, I think we kind of got ahead of ourselves, although up until the weather turned really dry in many parts of the country for August, it looked like we were headed towards a really big crop. And then, of course, demand. Uh, I guess a lot of people, we were skeptical that China would actually buy as much as they have, then all of a sudden that buying kicked in, although it really kicked in about the time they usually start buying. So uh, when you look at back at those three uh, different areas that you just described, you can see, I guess, why we were thinking the way we were, but also why we could have uh, maybe seen some uh, a different outcome that we wound up with. Right, and, and there's still similar risks still abound. If you talk about ch- Chinese demand, uh, that can almost turn off at the flip of a switch. Not so much right at the moment because, as you mentioned, China has shifted their uh, demand to the U.S. in a sort of natural seasonal uh, flow here after the Brazilian market has uh, been, you know, deplenished of supplies, prices rising there, and we're, we're the main game in time in town until next year. There's some concern, some hoarding ahead of next year because of what we're seeing early on with the development of Brazilian crop worries. Same could be said for Argentina, and so that's a general story that, yeah, it does come as a surprise, but can still be. Uh, you know, vulnerable to political risk, to what have you. And the same thing with supply. Right now, um, we've had a lack of available supply, so the market doesn't have it when it's needed most. And that's in part because farmers haven't been uh, uh, active sellers. There is still quite a bit of crop left over from some big crop years and another, you know, top three uh, row crop here, corn and soybeans, for the U.S. this year, too. So eventually that'll make it to the market. But right now there's a big draw and a faster draw from demand than there is supply reaching the market. We're talking with Joe Camp with Comstock Investments. So, Joe, as quickly as it turned this year, it could turn back. I mean, we we know that kind of volatility exists. So 
are you recommending farmers take advantage of this rally, this op- pricing opportunity to, uh, you know, to sell into it? Yeah, we are. We have a newsletter we put out this uh, weekend that's part of the program I manage, and the title was uh, Plan for Higher Prices but Hedge for Higher Volatility, because you mentioned that the risk still of what's to come this winter, an election next week, the outcomes of which may cause uncertainty. You've got the worry about winter COVID and the response maybe curbing demand here in the U.S. or around the world, so still plenty of economic questions that could creep back into the mix. Our recommendation is that we definitely hedge our risks in the short term, particularly on stored grain, but we do leave ourselves some upside opportunity open for what we could see longer term shaping up to be much better conditions for commodity markets and the grains to rally. Well, we know things can change, as we've just uh, talked about how they change this year. So between now and spring planting time, things could change again. But right now, are you thinking uh, the market's saying more soybean acres next year? I think they're they're seeing just that acre sort of competition start to play itself out. And the early bias does indeed go to soybeans. We've seen that multiple stretch out almost as as close to the high 2.9s soybean uh, futures over corn. Uh, but I think we get into spring and, and corn acres start to do this, the same thing, and we notice that, uh, indeed, discounted uh, like the, the forward-looking soybeans is the December 21 uh, corn futures contract. So I think that's still a storyline to play out. Yeah. So we'll watch that. Certainly, the soybean market has been most interesting. What are your thoughts? Let's focus on corn for a while because that hasn't had the same uh, urgency, it seems like, uh, as we've seen with soybeans. Uh, what are your thoughts on the corn market? Similar to soybeans in that we can, uh, for one, start to see uh, demand tighten up uh, both naturally as we continue to see export sales flash not only to big buyers like China. We need to have a reconciliation, by the way, on coming crop reports as it relates to Chinese demand, but other buyers too. We're seeing strong value in the U.S. market in part because uh, we're, like uh, for soybeans, uh, a a source of supply with still uh, uh, stocks left to bring to the market, whereas elsewhere around the world, if we talk about Brazil, if we talk about South America in general, the Black Sea, they are shorter on grain crops uh, to export this year. And we've got favorable currency terms in a different way than we have before as the green-black slides against currencies in the hands of our customers and competitors. So it has been a better recipe for corn, and we can start to see that play out, again, similar to the way it has for soybeans, where in the future we get USDA revisions higher on Chinese corn imports, higher on U.S. exports, and we see that uh, really underpin the balance sheet tightening that is the trend for now uh, for U.S. and global grains. We've got gas consumption down again, and we don't know about COVID into the winter. We've yet to see, with all the Chinese purchases, we've yet to see them really get into ethanol purchases. If they did that, if there was that kind of a boost, what would that mean for the corn market? Yeah, that's still on the horizon, but I think it's some time out. I think the the brakes have been put on 
for a lot of the uh, expansion for that sector in Chinese, even though we heard a couple of years ago about really some grand designs on up to E20 ethanol as a widespread implementation, government-led, of course, like most things in the economy uh, there. But what we're seeing is that the brakes were put on because of COVID for now. So I think in the future, first, we're going to see development of our E15 market here in the U.S., hopefully uh, take off some of the slack that you mentioned will likely come with fewer uh, motor vehicle miles driven this fall and winter. But finally, I think we have to start to expect that uh, tail end of 2021, early part of 2022, ethanol exports should be expanding. Um, otherwise, we're going to have trouble, I think, with the you know forward-looking domestic demand draw given current environment for renewable fuel standards. Let's look at the wheat market, Joe. We always have to look at global stocks there, which uh, oftentimes are burdensome. What do we see ahead for the wheat market? We Yes, we have been talking about burdensome supplies, and we still do have, by any measure, comfortable inventories held around the world, but they're not necessarily uh, in the same hands. We here in the U.S. benefit from having a good store of wheat that we can uh, sell more of here. Exports, as of late, maybe been a little bit disappointing, but hopefully to be helped out the same as corn and soybeans by the weakening dollar. But going forward, it's all about weather here, and we've seen, yes, a little bit of respite for growers across the world with the northern hemisphere wheat crop just being pl- uh, put in, but it's still an issue, that drought in the Black Sea, Ukraine, Russia, and we're still going to have worries about what La Nina means for the winter here in the southern plains. If it is dry as by, if it is by as dry, we're going to see an expansion continue of this drought that currently affects some 65% of the continental U.S. right now. But I guess like we talk about so often, uh, especially right now, all eyes will stay on China to see if they keep buying. That's right, and and part will come uh, as an influence of the outcomes of these uh, ele- elections, but uh, that's partly political. We know that's a vulnerability for grains, which is why we say we want to be hedged here in the short term. But longer term, we see just the natural demand coming out of China as that economy rebuilds from COVID and also a pork production and meat consumption after African swine fever. So it's still a bullish storyline what we're seeing in the purchases out of China. And I think that continues, again, but not without some uh, hiccups along the way or some tensions re-rising. That's a risk we're going to have to deal with, I think, for some time, uh, no matter next week. All right, Joe, good to talk with you again. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much. Take care. Joe Camp, Director of Managed Programs for Comstock Investments. All right, up next, our Harvest 2020 reports continue. We go back to the state of Iowa. The immediate past president of the National Corn Growers Association, Kevin Ross, will check in as we'll find out how Harvest is going on his farm. That's next here on AOA. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. 
Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything. Editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. The Home Service Club sponsors this paid advertisement. Attention homeowners. Broken AC, $4,600. Water heater, $1,500. Fridge on the fritz, $1,000. You need home warranty coverage from the Home Service Club. For around a dollar a day, if any of your covered appliances and systems break down, HSC will either do the repair or replace them. HSC has over 15,000 pre-screened, highly rated technicians with the fastest response time in the industry. HSC provides coverage for up to 47 different appliances and systems in your home. Call for a free, no-obligation quote from a trusted HSC service specialist about a home warranty for your entire home, all backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. 800-434-5301. Call now and get your first month free, plus $75 off your first year. 800-434-5301. 800-434-5301. That's 800-434-5301. 800-434-5301. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from throughout the cooperative system, from global market access to local expertise. We'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online. Neil Armstrong waited six hours and 39 minutes to step onto the surface of the moon. Jackie Robinson waited 20 months to play his first game with the Brooklyn Dodgers. And even DiCaprio had to wait 22 years to win an Oscar. You can wait until your destination. Don't text and drive. Visit StopTextStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, always interesting to look at developing consumer trends when it comes to food. And we talk with Charlie Arnott, CEO for the Center for Food Integrity. For the last 40 plus years, American agriculture truly has been the wonder of the world, focusing primarily on increasing productivity, efficiency, and throughput. Today, consumers, engaged consumers, uh, retailers, and capital markets are beginning to ask whether or not other issues 
like sustainability, food safety, health and nutrition, should also receive greater focus. And so there's, there's an important shift taking place where people are saying, we want to continue to enjoy safe, very affordable food, but we also now are looking at other attributes as being equally important as consumers have greater interest in health and nutrition, extending their meals, fresh, high-quality food. All of those things are continuing to play a greater role in the decision process for engaged consumers, retailers, and for those who provide financing to agriculture. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. These are the sounds of a dinner. A dinner that almost didn't happen. A dinner now served thanks to people like you. Due to COVID-19, 17 million more Americans may face hunger. Feeding America is helping our neighbors in need. And if you're able, you can too. Donations are being accepted at feedingamerica.org slash coronavirus. Brought to you by the Ad Council and Feeding America. 200 food banks strong. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, for today's Harvest Report, let's go to Iowa. The immediate past president of the National Corn Growers, Kevin Ross, joins us. Kevin, get a little more time for Harvest this year now that you're not running around to meetings all over the country? <laughs> yeah, we uh, definitely had a little bit of a change in the uh, schedule here, uh, but uh, you know, Harvest was moving along real fast anyway down this way, just dry conditions overall and uh, I, I don't think I've ever combined corn that was this dry coming out of the field, Mike. It was running 11 to, I think the tops I saw was about 14% by the time we were rolling on corn. It just, uh, it went and, and turned really, really quickly from, uh, from you know, decent levels of moisture to, to next to nothing, it seemed like, out of the field. So uh, just, just big changes this year, that's for sure. Tell us again what part of Iowa you're, you farm in and how much harvest do you have done? Yeah, so we're in southwest Iowa, and, and uh, just outside Council Bluffs, Omaha area. Um, I would estimate, uh, and really all the beans have been done here for uh, at least a, a week or two uh, in the area, just about. And uh, um, the corn in the in the area, well, we got done here Wednesday uh, Wednesday morning um, on our farm, but I uh, got a little custom work yet to do. I would say there's probably about uh, I don't know, probably about. Uh, uh, you know, maybe 20% or uh, 25% of the corn left still stand in the field. It seemed like, uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of corn yet to go in, in certain areas, but uh, it definitely was moving along really good. Had a little bit of snow here last night, uh, just a couple mm-hmm. inches here in our area, but you don't have to go too far away and, and get, uh, you know, get in that five, six, or even up to eight, eight inch range. It uh, definitely getting, you know, definitely put a little hampering on the, on the harvest here for the next couple of days. How were your bean yields? Beans were decent, Mike. They were uh, they were all right. I, you know, for for not having, I mean, we just had next to nothing for rain this year, which is, uh, you know, I think I mentioned on the on the show a couple times before, but pretty unbelievable how little rain we had, and really to have the crop that we we did get, um, you know, a credit to the to the yield, and also I think a big factor was just that we didn't have the the really high temperatures throughout the summer or. Uh, those things. But bean yields overall, I think there's a lot of uh, 40 to 50 range out there. You had some outliers where there's some things that were 
you know, some fields that were higher than that and uh, certainly some fields that were lower than that. But uh, uh, for the immediate area that I'm in, uh, a lot of that, that range would uh, would catch a lot of them, I think. And uh, you don't have to go too far away and, and have a lot better bean yields, though, just uh, with a couple of different rains here late in the year. And what about your corn yields so far? Yeah, really variable. I've never seen, uh, you know, throughout the field um, in, the, in the last 20 years where you'd run, uh, you know, some corn that, uh, uh, it, you know, you always have variability in the field, but you, I never saw it this ranging. Um, we had some spots that were, uh, you know, up to almost 300 bushel, and, and then you'd end up in uh, a different area of the field, and you were down below 100. And it just, uh, you know, highlights any little issue that was out there, um, whether that was just soil type or even the slope, the, the way that uh, our hills are down here. If you were in a west or south-facing slope, it's amazing how much different that uh, that late-day sun or uh, or even maybe those westerly winds just really took uh, took the, the water out of it. And um, usually don't see those those types of swings. Um, but certainly this year was just an exceptional, uh, exceptional one with that. And averages were okay, though. I think overall, you know, corn on corn was a little bit lower than uh, than the rotated ground, but uh, uh, the rotated ground certainly certainly was showing up in that uh, you know 170, 180 range in a lot of a lot of a lot of areas, and even a little higher than that um, in some spots. But uh, you can drop you know a good 20, 30 bushel in in our area anyway. Uh, if not more on some of those corn on corn acres, depending on hybrid, depending on stress and lots of other things that were, uh, like I said, even the slopes, um, just amazing how many, how those little things were showing up this year that uh, made a big difference on yield. The ratio did miss you, didn't it? You know, it did. Uh, we were pretty fortunate with that, Mike. It was, uh, you know, there was, yeah, some, some, uh, you know, some damage around here, but not really. Uh, I hate to even say we had much at all because it was just nothing compared to what the folks dealt with in in the uh, central and western, central and, and excuse me, eastern parts of the state uh, and beyond that. But uh, uh, you know, little bits of damage here and there from from wind. Uh, overall, nothing really to speak of. You know, by comparison to what those folks are dealing with, and luckily they had a you know pretty good stretch, of, a really good dry weather to to get a lot of that stuff off the ground. Um, I hope there's not a whole lot of that getting snowed on now because, you know, trying to pick corn up uh, that, that's gotten wet and uh, after it's been laying there, that's going to be real tough. Won't want to feed in. And, and uh, hopefully most of those folks had a chance to get uh, get out there and get after get after whatever they could and get it picked up. So, um, yeah, pretty fortunate down here by that, by that area, though. We could have used the rain, but not the wind. Hmm. Yeah. Are you in pretty good shape for storage in your area? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, similar because of the, that, uh, uh, again, the derecho not, you know, hitting us here, um, the structural damage that those folks saw, um, you know, we really never saw much of that. Uh, it, it's it's interesting, though, um, you know, the, the, the storage issues that uh, you might normally see um, because of some of the drought action, I think uh, you're just not having uh you know any of those issues the bins are uh i can tell you my bins aren't quite as full as they uh as i'd like them to be but uh um there's a whole lot of area uh you know that was pretty good and i think um you know the the elevators got you know got pretty full pretty fast with the uh you know with the fall harvest here but really things have moved really well uh from a logistical standpoint i think in our area and and uh, probably for the most part across the state, other than maybe some of those spots that had, uh, uh, you know, had the huge damage from that derecho. But, uh, um, 
a lot of you know a lot of crops still out there, and and uh, I think we're gonna you know still see uh, you know st- some people are still trying to figure out what uh, what this crop's gonna make overall, but uh, uh, it's just amazing the differences and how far you go. I've talked to folks in different states and some places over east are are barely getting started and and uh, haven't really done much corn at all. Um, in some of the Indian Ohio range that got uh, you know got in so late, and you get up north and, and uh, it gets a little better now. A lot of guys are done. So uh, anyway, good stuff. Glad to be done with 2020 crop here for all up on them, Mike. All right, Kevin. Good to talk with you again. Take care. Hey, appreciate your time. Thanks, Mike. All right, Kevin Ross uh, with a harvest update from Iowa. That wraps it up for today. Have a safe day. Be sure to join us again tomorrow, right here on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines.